Matthew 14. Uh, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, and this is just a little bit newer uh, book in my hand, so it's, uh, it's a little harder for me to get my hands around it. So sorry about that delay there. All right, Ma- uh, Matthew 14, I'm beginning in verse 22. As soon as the people were fed, this is the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus told his disciples to get into their boat and to go to the other side of the lake while he stayed behind to dismiss the people. After the crowds dispersed, Jesus went into the hills to pray, and as night fell, he was there praying alone. But the disciples, who were now in the middle of the lake, ran into trouble, for their boat was tossed about by high winds and heavy seas. At four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them, walking on the waves. When the disciples saw him on top of the water, they were terrified and screamed, a ghost. Then Jesus said, be brave. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Peter shouted, Lord, if it's you really, then have me come join you on the water. Come and join me, Jesus replied. So Peter stepped onto the water and began to walk towards Jesus. But when he realized how high the waves were, he became frightened and started to sink. Save me, Lord, he cried out. Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and lifted him up. Now, I want to just pause for a moment. One sidebar note. If you've ever watched the book of Matthew... And uh, I believe Jesus is played by Bruce Marciano in that particular version of the gospel. What I so deeply appreciate in the portrayal of that gospel is this, that Jesus was standing on the ways, and not only was he smiling, he was laughing. And he embraced Peter in laughter. Okay, there is a thought. He wasn't disgusted and upset at this point. He reached out his hand from his heart of compassion, by the way, filled with love and joy. This lines up, doesn't it? Okay. Jesus immediately stretched out his hand. What little faith you have. Why would you let doubt win? And the very moment they both stepped into the boat, the raging wind ceased. Then all the disciples bowed down before him and worshiped Jesus. They said in adoration, you are truly the Son of God. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us through your word? I happen to have a daughter who in the right mood loves to be that guy. Now, by that guy, I'm talking about that person who likes to wait while you're getting ready for bed quietly in the closet so that when you're ready for bed and nice, you know, and and for me, this takes, there's a little ritual I go through, right? And having gone through my ritual, I'm moving now towards my CPAP machine And I'm ready to, like, snuggle in my certain position, pillows all in their right place. And out from the closet comes, boo, 
Now, um, it's gotten to the point. I won't name names, okay? But if she's home from school and I'm getting ready for bed, I've gotten to the point where I have to open the door to the bathroom and look around the corner and then step back from the closet, open the door, turn the light on. But even that doesn't keep me safe because I'll flip open the door, flip on the light, and right at that point she'll say, boo, she still gets me. You know, she's that person who wants to scare the absolute liver out of me. And I said, you're going to get it someday. Now, I've never been that dad who thought that was a cool thing because somehow in my brain I thought it would, like, mar my kids for life. Interestingly, I have a little grandchild who loves it. She's like, ooh, yeah, do it again. So, I, you know, I came from this mindset. You don't want to scare them, get them marked for life. By the way, as parents get over that, they're going to get marked by something. So, you know, just let them know you love them and say it early and say it often. But um, it happened about a month ago that this particular daughter was in the bathroom and uh, near the kitchen. And I thought, oh, you know, I might just go into the pantry and maybe close the door and wait, because everybody knows that a young adult's first stop after a bathroom is to find a snack, right? So I'm standing in the pantry quietly as a little church mouse. Oh, boy, I threw that one in. Church mouse in the pantry? No, we don't have mice in the pantry, honey. Anyway, so I was, uh, I was standing there, and uh, she came. She opened the door. The light comes on in the pantry, and I said, hi, honey. And she literally shook her to the core. Oh, Dad, I can't believe you did that. I said, well, you earned that one, honey. Now, I suppose I understand the humor of watching somebody having their father involuntarily shake and shriek. Um, you know, I, it, it, she'll do that. I have one of my older boys... Um, yeah, I, uh, maybe I should name him. Yeah, but anyway, he lives in Indy, but he's not my youngest child. So there, you can figure that one out. But anyway, he, you know, he, does, he used to enjoy doing the same thing to me. All, the only thing was, I mean, he would, he would get me in the outdoors, outside. Like one time I was walking out on the deck, and he stood up, throws his hands up in the air <laughs> right in front of me. I was like, ah, fight or flight. And at that point, you know, I'm grabbing him like, do I want to hurt you or do I want to hug you? Ah. So, I mean, the point is, something happens to our body, right, in which reason is out the window, and we have a perceived sense of danger. Has anybody experienced that before, right? Right? Yeah. Okay. So, now what I'm talking about here are, are in truth, are expressions of affection from twisted minds, but the truth be told... <laughs> Truth be told, we all have things that startle us to the core. Um, we all have places of trauma, little landmines that most of the time we keep them tucked away, emotional landmines. 
But when they get stepped on, not only do they startle us, but in some cases, they wind up directing our life and our choices. You want to understand what addiction is about? It's generally bound to those kinds of things. We all have ghost stories. And, you know, here I am. That's, by the way, since that wonderful moment that I got her, she has gotten me back. But it's like, ah, you scared the snot out of me. That is exactly what happened to Jesus' disciples in the text that we're looking at today. Jesus sends them out on their boat to be alone. He wants to be alone, but it isn't very long before they're feeling abandoned and alone. Interesting. First, the winds pick up, and the, you know, and the gravity of the situation begins to, to, to swell up within them. I mean, at first, we have experienced fishermen on hand, right? I mean, you got, you got the tax collector dude there in the boat. Maybe, you know, he's not doing much of anything, but I'm saying, you know, you, when winds pick up, it's like, Peter, come on, we need your help here. John, you can grab a hand. Philip. But, but the longer the night stretches, the more these individuals are beginning to live not from their experience or their sense of confidence, but they're living from these deep ghost stories inside of them. Now remember this, and, and this, is, this is really, really important that we, some of us have heard these stories from the time we were little tykes in Sunday school, but we forget there is a context here. They had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people, heal the sick, right? And that's not what's on their mind. What's in their body and in their mind right now as the night goes on is they're terrified. How do I know that? Because what shows up when they see Jesus, when they see him with their eyes, their mouth expresses what's actually got a hold of them. Not a settled peace and a confidence. Their mouths confess what's got a hold of their mind and their body and their emotions. And interestingly, watch this. This is really important. I want you to notice this. They are absolutely certain That's a ghost. Now, give that quick context. I don't have time to go into all of it. But I want to remind you, Old Testament, we have got, we, we've got some ghost stories there. Remember King Saul? <laughs> I need to talk to a prophet who's dead. Not a good idea. And so, you know, usually when that happened, and they'd been taught this, usually when that happens, that's not a good thing. And so for any good Jew in the first century, they know if they see a ghost, there's impending doom. There's, there's something harm coming towards them. There are ghost stories they've heard, and so they're in the place of, of this wind and the waves working against them, and, and they see something that shouldn't be there. Oh, it's Jesus. Can't be. It's a ghost, and they're certain of it because they feel it. Not everything you feel is telling you the truth. Okay? Their eyes see Jesus, and it's telling them a story 
Not of care and safety, but of doom. Have you thought about that? They saw Jesus. I'm going to die. Their trauma, their actual personal story combined with what's happened, tells them with certainty that's what's happening. It's driven by pain. It's fueled by fear. And surely it's going to end in destruction. This may be Jesus, but, but not the Jesus that we left on the shore. This one's coming to take names. By the way, I want to proclaim this clearly. The same one who showed up the first time is the same one who's coming back. Okay? The, the one that they left who restores and makes whole, but what they see in their eyes and, and they, they're seeing within their bodies is the one who's coming to bring harm to them, Jesus. Ah! Their fear and their trauma keeps them from locating Jesus in the midst of their peril. Jesus in the storm? Oh, not that Jesus. Jesus in my darkness? No, not that one. This is my darkness. Jesus in my uncertainty? No. They're verbalizing how their fear is telling their story. Now, this is really, really critical because, remember, storytelling is, is the heart of the gospel. What's, what happens? God comes to tell a story to man. Hey, be fruitful, multiply. I put you here to have a relationship with me and to be my image bearer. And who comes along and begins to tell another story? Right? And from that point forward, man is struggling with their own story. And we're hearing a story of fear, shame, and guilt. We still do. This is, de this is deeply theological. So... They see Jesus, but they hear another story. If I'm seeing anything, it's a ghost. It can't be God. And as you might surmise, I want to say this to us. In the disciples, we see something that is profoundly true for all of us. Because all of us have ghost stories. I want to proclaim this in the name of Jesus. Our fears are not very good storytellers. They're not very good about telling us the truth about our life and about the heart of God. Startled, shaken. And there I'm, again, in that moment, oh, wait, oh, oh wait, wait. You're my daughter and you love me. <laughs> And sometimes she has to come and she comes up to me, oh, 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 dad. And I have to begin to tell my body, calm down, calm down. You're fine. Now, God in Christ tells a story to tell his friends that night that is so much more than just walking on water. The story that he's telling is that he's invaded the realm of uncertainty, of fear, of destruction to tell another story. You are not alone. Darkness, uncertainty, they're not a hindrance, they're not a barrier for me. 
He comes to his disciples and to us. Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. The very elements that threaten to destroy the disciples become the environment in which they recognize God. Do you see that? Nothing changed much there except, wait, that's Jesus. Revealing heaven wherein and, and where, where, I should say, revealing heaven where and in what they had concluded was hell. What they perceived as certain death, they now recognize as life and hope and salvation. And that, beloved, is good news. Oh, the stories that we like to tell ourselves, sometimes openly, sometimes not so openly, the ones that remind us of our mistakes, the shame, the guilt, the ones that make sure that we look a certain way because we don't want to reveal our insecurity. And beloved, this is exactly where we need to surrender and allow the gospel to speak the truest story about ourselves and about God. We're loved, we're forgiven, we're cared for by God who came into our story, who embraced all of our lies and all of our deepest fears to proclaim shalom. Shalom is more than just peace. Shalom means nothing Lacking, nothing wanted, all of the broken pieces put back together and made whole, whole. Disciples are not the only ones who struggle with those stories anchored in fear that direct our lives. I mean, I could go on and on with how fear has become a controller and a storyteller. I mean, read the headlines, listen to, well, unfortunately, what we're going to have to listen to for the next, what is it, 18 months or so? as we hear one group, politically speaking, trying to tell us a story about what we should fear as the other group tells us another story about what we should fear of either one of them. And it keeps us from the very place that we were invited to live in and from, love. Interesting, many times I've, I've heard this text taught, loads of times, and primarily from the context of lack or our need to have, quote, more faith. As I was looking at this text, I was like, whoa, this just jumps at me. It's like, wait, Jesus, let, let me put my thinking cap on for a moment. Is this all about beating me on the head to make sure I, I get a hold of what Jesus said? You know, if you just stop doubting and then you can do whatever you want. Or, wait a minute, is there another story going on here? Because Jesus said, if you have faith as big as a truck, then you'll get things done for the kingdom of God. No, wait a second, he said, it's just a tiny little, tiny little, little bit. And by the way, I give it to you as a gift. This is about, this is about surrender? Yeah. After Jesus identifies himself and he's speaking to the bad storyteller, fear, don't be 
afraid. Why? Because he knows there's a storyteller just screaming at these guys. Peter says, now, actually, he just says what everybody's feeling. If it's you, <laughs> jury's still out, Jesus, I'm not sure. <laughs> My body is shaken to the core. Uh, I'm still not sure what story to surrender to, God or ghost. So here's what I want to say about Peter walking on the water. This exchange is not so much about what he accomplished in his faith. It's about locating and recognizing Jesus and the story that he was telling them. I'm here, Peter. Fear doesn't have to rule you. You're, alone. You're not alone. You are cared for. Now, interesting, in the New American Standard translation, verse 33 records the rest of the disciples' reaction with this conclusion. You are certainly God's son. That's a fascinating verse because, I mean, Matthew records it that Jesus, uh, you know, somehow is, is it that Matthew is recording that finally the, the disciples went, ah, now I finally get it. Jesus passed the God litmus test. Now he really is the Son of God. I mean, wait a minute. Weren't you pretty sure when, when he was baptized and you heard that voice from seven, heaven saying, that's, that's my boy? Or any one of a number of times you saw things happening. So my point is, it's, it's not like at some point that they came suddenly to the place where they were finally certain of their convictions and were able to get stuff done because remember, oh yeah, every one of them walked away. The good news of the gospel is never about us reaching some place of certainty. That's what I want you to hear in that. That we never doubt or that we never struggle with, with fear in our future or, or you know, any of those things that are We all struggle with the bad storytellers that are going on all around us, inside of us. The gospel is good news that invites us to anchor our hearts, not in certainty about facts, but in this revelation. God, you came. You're Emmanuel. You keep revealing yourself as Emmanuel. That wasn't just a one-off. You still come. You and what is he revealing? His love. God comes in the midst of the storm and the uncertainty to bring peace and assurance. Yes. I practice this name. I can't do it. So if you want to know the proper, how, how to say it right or read it right, it's in the notes. Fyodor Dostoyevsky. He's the Russian. Yeah, that guy. Um, he, was, he, was a, he was a Russian theologian, but he started out really as an agnostic. And he comes to this place of surrender, saying, I, I, there's nothing, I, I am, I've come to this place that it's, because the, what, what he came to conclude was that faith was not about force and conquest, but about the revelation of divine love and surrendering to it. That's really at, at the core of so much of what he wrote about. And then he goes on, he says, there's absolutely nothing like it. 
What he's proclaiming is this, that in the gospel, God is telling the story of his heart to mankind. In the face of fear, in our ghost stories, take courage. I'm here. Don't be afraid. And our invitation this morning, like the disciples, is an invitation to abandon our heart, our mind, our body to that story again. In the midst of my storms, my fears, there's a story of good news that's greater. Grace, how did, how did that go in that old hymn? Grace, grace, God's grace that is greater than all our fears. So here's a few thoughts I want to share out of this text. Ghosts, ghost stories, or God? Number one, Jesus does not come to us from outside of our storms and our fears like some search and rescue mission to suck us up out of it. And yet that's exactly how I'm often looking for him. Get me out of this. This, fill in the, circum fill in the blank, your circumstance, your own failure, your fears. Lord, get me out of this so I can feel more certain. No, actually, that right there, that's ground zero for the kingdom of God in your life. You, he you hear what I'm saying? Jesus came to his disciples. Where was ground zero for them? Right when they were saying, ah, going to die. In the wind, in the waves, in the darkness. Jesus, Jesus comes, not outside of that storm, but right in the storm. Beloved, this is good news that we need to proclaim over our own heart, our own lives, as we sit with individuals, where's ground zero? Right where you are. Now, those weather conditions, by the way, the wind, the waves, really are more descriptive about what was happening inside of them, and I think I've made that point. And that's really often where, where the battles are for us. That's the second thing I just want to point out. That means then that the gospel proclaims there is a divine power and a presence that has and can and always will trample on and overcome human fear. This is why his name is called Emmanuel. God with us in the worst of circumstances like the disciples, I have trouble seeing clearly. It's a ghost. It's the only thing that makes sense. People don't walk on water. By the way, that's the power of fear to deceive and distort and disorient us. He can't be here where you are. I've failed in such a way. He can't be there.
I was talking with my brother this morning. This word sozo, salvation, it's sozo it's, it's is the Greek word in the, in the New Testament for salvation. It's, it's a rich, vibrant word, but it's connected to the Hebrew word for the breath of God. So when God creates man, he breathes. So the sozo salvation isn't just God saving us from impending doom and sin or our you know, impending judgment. Woo, glad I didn't get that ticket. No, salvation. So my point is, it, there, there's two things to this. It's about the fullness of life. And listen to this. It's not a math problem. It's a mystery. It makes no sense to think that the very elements that threaten our lives are the same ones in which God can bring new life. How does that work? Remember the cross? He overcame death by death to bring us life. I mean, that is the gospel we proclaim. So, beloved, I, I want to invite us It's okay to be mystics that believe in God doing something that we can't explain. He's walking on water. He's meeting me where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I would point her out now. See, I can point in that direction because I think she got up and went to the bathroom. <laughs> I still creep around the corners when she's home. And it's normally playful. But like, I've, like I said to you, there have been a couple of times. I mean, she, I just she's gotten me to the core. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm going to get yours. It's going to, how do you say that, Denise? Payback. <laughs> Payback, baby. Now, to her credit, while well, she's laughing at me, little old man shaking, <laughs> she's like a couple of times, like, oh, Dad, I'm sorry. And, and then a couple of times that she's actually come up and hugged me and said, are, are you okay? You're not here to harm me. You're my daughter who loves me. What starts in fear ends in assurance and affection. Could this be the gospel? Our storms and our fears are the place where we first hear and feel, for real, our ghost stories. Alone and abandoned. God in Christ tells another story, beloved, again and again to us. That night to the disciples and now to us. It's so much more than walking on water. He's invaded those realms of fear, destruction, darkness, uncertainty. And he proclaims, you're not alone. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. The very elements that threaten to destroy the disciples become the environment in which they recognize it's him. 
He's with us. Jesus revealing heaven where and in what they had concluded was hell. Oh, by the way, he even invades that place. What they perceived as certain death, they now recognize as life, hope, salvation, shalom. And that's good news. Amen? Amen. Lord, help us to hear the story. The story that you tell. I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me. And we're going to close with this prayer that will uh, bring us to communion together. If you're on the call, we encourage you to grab something there to share in communion together. Let's just pray this prayer together. And then we're, we're going to come right into our confession uh, of our faith and our confession of sin together. Through the storms of life, O oh God, you are with your people in the person of Jesus, your Son. Calm our fears and strengthen our faith. That we may never doubt his presence among us, but proclaim that he is your Son, risen from the dead, living forever and ever. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven, maker of earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. O oh Lord God, we confess we have sinned. We have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, not loved our neighbor as ourself, and we are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. And ask for the sake of your Son, Jesus, that you would forgive us and cleanse us and wash us anew, that we would delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory and to the honor of your name. So I'm going to invite you to come as you feel led to share as we proclaim the life and the death of Jesus. If you came prepared to give, we say thank you. If you just leave it there in the box, and I'll close us here in prayer in just a few moments.